Hello and welcome to the Clinical Conundrum, a dedicated podcast to learn concepts in medicine with the help of case discussions. So let's begin with the first case of the current series. A 50-year-old policeman has been seen by his family physician for a five-year history of heartburn. He has been intermittently taking ranitidine, a histamine 2 blocking agent with some relief. An upper GI endoscopic examination was performed recently and it revealed some reddish discoloration and friability of the lower esophageal region. A biopsy of the lower esophagus was performed and a microscopic examination was done which revealed columnar cells containing goblet cells. So while dissecting this case, we would go for a top-down approach from the symptoms the patient exhibits towards the investigations which were ordered and the results of the histopathological examination. So the questions for this series are, and I would want you to think about the answers as and when I start with the questions. So the first is what is the most likely diagnosis? The second is what is the long-term complication of this process? And third, what is the most likely mechanism? So a diagnosis, a complication and a mechanism. So considering a 50-year-old patient with heartburn not relieved on medication, that points towards a pathology which involves acid. And acid in esophagus can come from reflux of the esophagus. The endoscopic examination, especially in lower esophageal region, revealing reddish discoloration and friability. So that points towards some abnormal pathology, right? And finally, histopathological examination of the biopsied specimen shows goblet cells. So as you might have guessed, the most likely diagnosis is Barrett's esophagus. We'll discuss what it is, but to answer our second question, what is the long-term complication of this process? Barrett's esophagus could lead in the long term to adenocarcinoma of esophagus. And to answer the third question, what is the most likely mechanism? The most likely mechanism is columnar metaplasia. So, Repeated acid reflux to the distal esophagus would lead to metaplasia in which the squamous cells of esophagus would be replaced by columnar cells having goblet cells which are more resistant to acid. To top of the esophagus as a whole, it is a 45 cm long muscular tube which extends from the upper esophageal sphincter to the lower esophageal sphincter. There are certain differences along the length of esophagus and we would tabulate them here itself. So, the upper, middle and the lower third. So, we divide esophagus into three parts, the upper third, the middle third and the lower third. The upper third is lined by, is lined by striated muscles. The lower third is lined by smooth muscles, whereas in the middle third we have both striated and smooth muscles. To check about the lining, 
the esophagus is lined throughout by stratified squamous non-keratinized epithelium our skin is lined by stratified squamous epithelium which is keratinized but the mucosa of the esophagus is lined by stratified squamous epithelium which is non-keratinized so the lower esophageal sphincter prevents reflux of gastric acid from the distal esophagus with gastroesophageal reflux disease due to a decreased tone of the lower esophageal sphincter there is backflow of acid into distal esophagus this acid acts as a chemical irritant and the squamous cells are not able to withstand this stress so what is the response of cells when they are exposed to stress it is adaptation so these cells adapt via a process known as metaplasia metaplasia is the process in which one cell type is replaced by another cell type which is better suited which is better suited to the new condition so the transformation of squamous to columnar epithelium was first described by barrett so it is named as barrett's esophagus and the presence of goblet cells in the columnar epithelium is a mark, is a hallmark of the disease barrett's esophagus appears reddish and friable on endoscopy and consequently it has an increased risk for developing into adenocarcinoma after discussing barrett's the complication as we said would be adenocarcinoma so it would be prudent to discuss the carcinoma of the esophagus esophageal cancers are constituting about 10% of all gastrointestinal cancers Gas- how would a patient of esophageal cancer present he would present with dysphagia weight loss and and how do you differentiate between a squamous cell carcinoma and adenocarcinoma squamous cell carcinomas are more common in the upper third and the middle third of the esophagus whereas adenocarcinomas are more common in the lower third of the esophagus the most common type of cancer overall of the esophagus is squamous cell carcinoma which are the risk factors if i were to enlist chronic alcohol and tobacco exposure ingestion of nitrosamine containing foods such as smoked foods or grilled foods a chronic intake of hot and spicy foods and ingestion of caustic soda or potash with an intention to commit suicide so these are all the risk factors for development of esophageal cancer so a reflux disease is more associated with adenocarcinoma whereas a irritative disease due to smoking is associated with squamous cell carcinoma after discussing barrett's esophagus carcinomas now will move to two or three more generalized conditions of esophagus the first one being achalasia what is achalasia cardia achalasia is 
characterized by a progressive dilatation of the distal esophagus which is caused by disturbance of normal peristaltic process so what happens is normally the tone of the lower esophageal sphincter is maintained by the myentric plexus neurons however a loss of myentric ganglion neurons leads to an increased lower esophageal sphincter pressure these patients complain of progressive dysphagia and vomiting of partially digested or undigested food and a feeling of fullness since the food cannot pass from the esophagus to the stomach there is this feeling of fullness and vomiting of partially digested food loss of the myentric ganglion cells leads to an increased tone since these are inhibitory cells loss of inhibitory cells will lead to an increased tone these cells promote relaxation that is a loose tone but a loss of these cells will promote an increased tone which will lead to achalasia and the classical appearance on endoscopy or an upper gastrointestinal barium swallow imaging is called the bird beak appearance mind you this is different from the rat tail filling defect which is seen in carcinoma so an achalasia patients with achalasia solid food can easily pass through it but there will be painful swallowing of liquid food why because solids can dilate the lower esophageal sphincter and they can pass but liquids can't amass that much of pressure and they cannot pass and there will be progressive pain due to stretching of the nerves in the plexus whereas in esophageal cancers pain is associated more with solids than liquids why because cancers are masses which protrude into the lumen when you intake solids these will rub against those masses leading to irritation and pain whereas liquids can easily trickle through and they can pass from the esophagus to the stomach so dysphagia with liquids is more common in achalasia and dysphagia with solids is more common in esophageal cancers the second condition which we are going to talk about is esophagitis esophagitis refers to inflammation of the esophagus the most common cause of inflammation is gastroesophageal reflux disease itself then other causes include infection that may be candida it may be a herpes simplex virus a cytomegalovirus post radiation or it may be due to uremia which is secondary to kidney failure the third important pathology is a congenital anomaly which we refer to as a tracheoesophageal fistula so these are disorders in newborn which are characterized by hypersalivation and difficulty in feeding while choking so a classical presentation of choking on breast milk of mother or aspiration of milk would indicate that there is an abnormal patency or an abnormal connection of the esophagus the most common type involves distal esophageal atresia 
with the connection of upper esophagus to the trachea from a obstetric point of view it is known that gastrointestinal defects such as tracheoesophageal fistula will lead to defecting swallowing and as a result the fetus cannot swallow the amniotic fluid and it will be characterized by maternal polyhydramnios in utero other varieties of te fistulae involve a fistula with a patent esophagus which is called an h-shaped esophagus so how does one differentiate an s-shaped tracheoesophageal fistula from a fistula in which there is distal esophageal atresia when you pass the rice tube or the feeding tube through the mouth that tube will coil inside so that indicates the lumen of esophagus is not patent and it has a connection with with the trachea whereas if the tube is passed inside that indicates and despite that the baby is choking that would indicate an h shaped type of fistula so this concludes our discussion on the common pathologies of esophagus we have discussed barrett's esophagus differences between adeno and squamous cell carcinoma we have discussed achalasia cardia esophagitis and tracheoesophageal fistula so this is the conclusion of the first episode looking forward to the next case in the case discussion series thank you